message today. And so as we've said week after week, we're getting close, we're getting close. We've journeyed together in this Gospel of Mark, and it's been a year. And uh, you'd say, well, Pastor, you're ending in the middle of chapter 8. How's that ending? But what we did is we moved forward for the passion of Christ, and then we had to back up and finish. And so that's why we're kind of ending right here, but I think uh, God has directed us that way too, because of this passage, it's a good place to end, to ask those kinds of questions that we need to ask, and how quickly we forget about the authority of King Jesus. How quickly we forget. And uh, some of you know that I'm a Newfoundlander. And uh, one of my favorite things as a child was to go to Little Bay Islands to visit Great Emperors. And Little Bay Islands uh, was, was such a small island, a fishing island, a little small fishing village. Um, and it is on the north shore of Newfoundland, and Springdale was the place that, where you would come to get the ferry. It was one of those little ferries with only about three or four cars to get on it. And uh, we would go, that's actually, we got to see whales and icebergs and all that fun stuff going out to see Aunt Rose. And it was kind of a summer thing we would get to do. And it was a very, it was a very special place. Why do I say it was? Well, the government have closed down the island and decided to move everybody. And so now, if you want to go there, you've got to get your own way there. There's no power and there's nothing. <laughs> but there are a few people living on it. A few people use it now as a cottage. But when we were children, I remember getting off the boat and there was some guy with some old jalopy, which was the only taxi that they had. But he was a taxi and you paid him to take you off the boat and bring you up to the little town area and uh, we'd be brought down the bottom of this rock, and you'd look up, and Aunt Rose's house was up on the rock. She literally had a house on the rock. <laughs> so much so they couldn't bring plumbing into it because it was on a rock. <laughs> and that's the one thing I didn't like about her house, was the outhouse. <laughs> but why am I bringing this story up? Well, before you got up to the door, you could smell it. You'd see the smoke coming out of the chimney because it was the old wood stove, the old oil wood stove, you know, the one you hung your laundry up behind to kind of help it dry quick. And she had been already knowing we were coming, so she was making her homemade bread. And you could smell it before you even opened the door. And then you'd come in and there'd be these loaves of bread and Aunt Rose had the best bread. Now, I know Nola's is pretty good, but I still would say Aunt Rose, don't tell I said that to no one. <laughs> Aunt Rose's was the best, the best of the best. And you know, Newfoundlanders, what they do, I don't know what Nola does it, but once it comes out, then you take butter and you slather it all over. Don't how shiny it is? You just slather it all over the top of it. Because that's what makes the bread good. <laughs> Somebody's licking their lips up front of it. <laughs> And, and then, of course, there was the wares from last year's visit when you had the homemade wild blueberry jam, the homemade wild strawberry jam, and the homemade wild raspberry jam that you picked as a kid and had to go out and get buckets full. You got to have that jam on it. Lots of butter and jam. Wow. That was, that was something. Now, I made you all hungry. I'm just got to get you back to listen to the Word of God. 
I bring that up today because our passage today seems a lot about bread. A lot of the points we're going to talk about today seems to be about bread. You know, this is what Jesus is saying to them. And so he starts off to say, how many loaves? How many loaves do you have? And they respond, seven. And we see in verses one to three, it's a beautiful passage in the fact that Jesus has compassion on them. You know, that's beautiful to see. Some people, you could do a whole message just on that. Jesus has compassion on them. Jesus is afraid that they're not going to make it on the way home. Isn't that something? Think about that. Even in your drive home today, Jesus wants you to make it home. Ultimately, he wants you to make it home. <laughs> And he cares. He's so compassionate. And they had been there, and they've been listening to him for three days. Three days they've been sitting there, and they haven't been worried about food. And, and so now the time, the bread of life is leaving them, and Jesus is afraid they're going to collapse on the way home. So he looks at his disciples again, and he says, how many loaves do you have? And they actually had seven. And they found a few fish. But here's the disciples' response again. But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed all them, Lord? And so we can see the disciples have what? No compassion. <laughs> they are not, they have not learned yet the compassionate heart of the master. They're not compassionate. And I'll tell you one thing: if you try to do it on your own flesh to show compassion, Chances are, when push comes to shove, you will not be compassionate. Because it is the power of the Holy Spirit changing our hearts that give us a heart like Jesus for people. That helps us to be compassionate towards others. And you notice what they're saying? You hear this a lot in the church. No, maybe you don't hear it verbally. Not my problem, Pastor. <laughs> not my ministry. Not my calling. Must be someone else that should be doing that. And so we see that the disciples have no compassion now, didn't we just hear Pastor a story about feeding the 5,000? Yes. Mark is showing us another miracle. This is now the feeding of 4,000. This is two separate events. And like we did today with his body and his blood, Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. Do you realize that the Lord says grace over his meal? Right? I don't know how many times people have even at the bakery, we bow our heads to say grace there. And people will stop. You'll hear conversations going. And all of a sudden, they'll stop because they see somebody giving thanks for the food. It's, even that is a witness in our day. That we stop and we thank God for this food. Everything we have, we give him thanks. And so Jesus is giving fa the Father thanks for those seven loaves. And notice that happens before the miracle and the multiplications. I like what somebody said one time, you will not get what you want if you're not happy with what you have. God, even these seven loaves, we give you praise. Even in the smallest minded things, we give you thanks. I love what verse 8 says. And they were all satisfied. Oh, it's good when you're satisfied. When you can push back from a meal. Mark's chuckling there. <laughs> You can push back from a meal, and that was good, right? You're satisfied. You know what's beautiful here is everyone had enough, and then some, because they picked up these hamperfuls. The last feeding, it was the baskets they carried under their arm to travel, the Jews. These are hampers. The word that's used here is a hamper. You know the basket that... 
Paul was let down over the, row, uh, over the wall, that's how big these baskets are. These are ones that are a hamper full. That's how much bread they were able to pick up. And so I want us to realize today that with Jesus, Jesus is always more than enough. Everything you need, he can provide. Someone said it this way. Some of you have heard some bad news about your health this week or the health of a loved one. Some of you are seeing relationships dissolve right before your very eyes. Some of you are holding off on a decision that you need to make. Some of you are fearing that a habit you once had is going to creep back in again. And all these things, you know what we find out? We are not adequate. <laughs> we can't solve the issues. We can't solve the world's issues. We are inadequate. We also find out that we are powerless. We find out we don't have all the resources. We don't have it all together. But the thing that God says in this passage, praise God, God is more than enough. With Jesus, whatever you need, he is more than enough. And it's only him that can truly satisfy. Jesus is trying to teach something to his disciples in this passage. What's happening here is the miracle this time is for the Gentiles. So that first feeding of the 5,000 was amongst the Jews. The feeding of the 4,000 is before Jesus has returned back and he is, remember, outside of Palestine as we spoke last week as Jesus reaches the outsider. And here Jesus has compassion on them and this miracle happens amongst the Gentiles. And so we see a picture already that God's kingdom is beginning to break forth. This isn't a miracle so much to show us, oh, Jesus did it again. This miracle is something deeper here that God is trying to show us and teach the disciples. See, Jesus is now getting urgent with his need for them to understand what who he is and what his ministry is all about. Remember, we spoke last week, the cross in the shadow of the cross is now what he's looking towards. He's beginning to see that. And he's wanting his disciples to get it. But they're dull of faith. They're slow in learning. And so he says to them the second point. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. In verses 11 and 13 we see that Jesus now crosses back over. And as soon as he crosses back over... You know, mountaintop experience, 4,000 people fed, and you cross over, and guess who's waiting? The Pharisees. The Pharisees are right there waiting for Jesus. They're waiting for him to come. And the word that's used here is really the word testing. And so they're standing there waiting for the boat to get on shore right after the mountaintop experience. We've all been through that. Go off to camp or go off to some big conference or wherever. Pharisees are right there waiting. Jesus, show us a song. <laughs> kind of ridiculous when you think about it, eh? Think about all the miracles they've seen Jesus do, or at least they've heard, and him raising the dead and walking on water and feeding thousands of people. And they're standing there wanting to dispute with him, wanting to test him. Show us a sign. And so Jesus begins to rebuke them for their unbelief. They have evil intent here. 
They're refusing to submit to the Lord's demands, and he refuses them to submit to theirs. You know, verse 12 to me, I just, I just felt in verse 12, my heart sank as I'm thinking of our Lord, and it says in verse 12, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. How many times does the Lord sigh deeply in his spirit? In their lack of belief, their unwillingness, and so they go around talking about, we need this new sign, we want to see. See, they didn't deny that Jesus had power. They saw the miracles. What they were denying is that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, the Messiah. Because remember, there's even places where they accuse him of what? Well, you do what you do because of Satan. And so they're asking for a sign for him to prove that he is not a false prophet. See, today we need to understand what is faith really about. And we've said it over and over again that in the Bible, the word is used interchangeably. Faith is trust. And so here it's about his trustworthiness. If there's anything that's lacking today in our society is trust. We don't even trust godly people when they say something today that they really said it or meant it. There's not something twisted in there. That's that we don't trust teachers or principals anymore. We don't trust police officers. We, we don't trust anyone. And if we're not careful, we don't even trust our spouses. Because somehow we have been set up now that we don't want to have faith in anyone but ourselves. We don't want to trust anyone. And so these are these Pharisees who are going around. They don't want to put their faith in Jesus. They don't want to trust him. Is he trustworthy? No, they don't think so. And he needs to prove to them that he's not a false prophet. Jesus refuses to comply. Mm -hmm. See, we believe in Jesus Christ because of who he is. We don't believe in Jesus for what he can do. We say this in this church often. We seek his face and not his hand. Yes, God does things. I just told you, he can satisfy. He's more than enough. But that's not what we seek. We seek his face. We seek relationship. And then he cares for all those things. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And what? All these things will be added on to you. Jesus doesn't want us to believe in a sign. Jesus wants us to believe in Jesus. Asking God for a sign so you can believe is akin to making a deal with God, and God will make no deals. God is God. He exists. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present at every single point of your life. He has been there. That, that was the amazing thing for me. In all my pain, in all my suffering, in all my sin, all that I did, I looked back and I could see that people were praying for me and God was there trying to get my attention. It's amazing when you begin to look over your shoulder and see that. And you're just dumbfounded. That's what brings conviction and repentance. Oh my God, what have I done? And I've made Jesus sigh when he looked at me. See, Really, when we say, do you have faith in Jesus, we are saying, have you taken that leap of faith? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you put your trust that he is indeed the one he said he is? That's faith. 
believing in him. And so we see the Pharisees and the Herodians didn't want to do that. They didn't want to believe. And so Jesus warns them, be careful. He says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now listen to what the disciples say. They discuss this one with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Kind of comical, isn't it? You talk about the side about the Pharisees. See, I don't know. Any, any of you guys ever got into sourdough bread? The starters? You had to keep it fed. You had to feed it. It's like a little animal. You had to feed it. And then you made your bread. And then you... So, Wendy, you're the only one that ever did sourdough. Oh, there's a few others. They're starting to put their hands up. And that was so popular. And you know, it became popular during COVID when it first hit. Because people couldn't buy yeast. And because they couldn't buy yeast, they were making their own with the sourdough starter and all that again. Well, what it was, what Jesus is talking about is, is where you take a piece of the dough and you let it ferment. And as it ferments, it makes that yeast. And so then you take that and add it to this bread and it begins to rise. And then you take a portion of that and ferment that so you can rise the next loaf. And so Jesus is saying the Jews really believed that sin and evil was like yeast. That it could, would ferment and move into something and take over. So just a little bit of yeast would take over the whole batch of bread. And so he's saying to them, watch out for the corruption of the Pharisees. Watch out for the corruption of Herod. That it doesn't get hold of you. That it doesn't begin to take over. Because their evil was so bad, it wouldn't take long. It would take over their thinking and their understanding and all of it. And so leaven here, yeast here, the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, is the refusal to believe. That's what it is. That this gospel has been presented to you, this truth has been presented to you, and it's a time to jump off and take a leap of faith, because that's what faith is. I'm jumping off into the unknown, but into the arms of God. I'm trusting him at his word. I'm believing there is something here that's real and genuine, and I'm taking that leap of faith. Instead, they were ones who refused to believe. No matter what, they weren't going to believe the truth. And so they have hardened hearts. We don't realize that there's a truth that the more you say no to God, your heart becomes hardened. You become desensitized. That is when we talk about stiff necks. I've seen it actually happen to believers. Why do I say that? Because God's been knocking. God's been asking them to step out in faith in something, and they keep saying they refuse God's will for their life, and as you refuse God's will for your life, your heart gets hardened and your neck gets stiff, and you don't even know when the Spirit of God is moving anymore. It's refusal. I'll just refuse it again. Thank you very much. And so there was the pride and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and there was the sensuality and corrupt living of the Herodians, and Jesus says, watch out for that. And then he says, do you still not understand? We joke about it, the duh disciples, right? 
Jesus said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? That's verse 17. Now verses 19 to 20. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments, fragments did you pick up? And they said 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said seven. You know, somebody called this the faith amnesia. Faith amnesia. A lack of bread. So they get into the boat. Jesus has just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves. They get back into the boat. Oops, we forgot bread. Oh, shoot, we've only got one loaf. We're going to have to divvy it up. That's not very much. Probably one slice of bread each. They're already thinking about the physical, the natural, their stomachs. And Jesus is looking at them saying, don't you get it? Don't you understand that if I fed 4,000 people with seven loaves, I can surely feed the 12 of you with one loaf. But their focus was on the natural. Their focus was on the physical. And they lost sight of the spiritual. And so they're seen to have this lack of faith. And Jesus says to them, you have eyes, but you do not see. You have ears, but you do not hear. I would add, you have hearts, but you do not feel. They just are not getting it. They don't understand. And I told you that Jesus felt there was an urgency to this because he knows the cross is right before them. And he wants them to get this. And so we see that faith amnesia just strikes again. There's something we can learn from this. Just because you have repeated exposure to the things of God doesn't mean you get it. Just because you sit in a pew and you do the right Christian thing and praise God, you do. Because we're living in a day that people are wondering what's going to happen with the church because will people still come sit in a pew? <laughs> or would they just prefer to be online? And so we realize those are issues, and praise God, you are here. But just because you sit in a pew does not mean that you are open to what God is saying and what God is doing. Just being around the familiar doesn't necessarily mean that you have become more spiritual. Unfortunately, much like the disciples, we can get around so much the things of God that nothing wows us anymore. And we start to become desensitized to what God is wanting to do and the move of the Spirit. They had the bread of life in their boat. And they're worrying about what they're going to do with only one loaf of bread. If we're not careful, as the Church of Jesus Christ, we can have faith amnesia. We can forget all the things that God has done for us in the past. It can be so easy to forget when God would say, remember when I've done that in your life. When God says, remember how I've taken care of you. Remember how you thought you were at your end and I brought you through. Remember how you felt in that moment when the Holy Spirit fell upon you. Remember when I called you by name. Mm -hmm. Remember. That's why you'll see in the Old Testament time and time again that word, remember. 
We need to remember what God has done in our lives so that we don't make the same error of faith amnesia. And so, in this parallel feeding of the 4,000, he says to them, do you not understand? Not, you don't get it? Don't you perceive? Are your hearts hardened? Your eyes failed to see? Your ears haven't heard? Don't you remember? You're looking at the physical, the natural, and I've been trying to teach you that it's about the spiritual, and our God is greater than anything and any need that you might have. As we said, Jesus is more than enough. What are the signs of somebody who is falling into this tragedy of not understanding? Remember, these are the disciples. These are the 12 closest to him that we're talking about here. Somebody said there's three things here we can see that we're falling into faith amnesia. We're falling into this example of the disciples here. And the first is we begin to ignore the warning signs. God has been sending it us to us in stereo. It's been coming to us in his word, in prayer, uh, in other believers. And we're hearing a message that God is trying to tell us something. And we have just become so full of faith and amnesia. We can't, we can't see or we don't want to heed the warning signs. They said that's one of the signs you can tell that you're beginning to drift. The second is, instead of going to prayer, instead of calling the pastor, instead of getting the elders together to anoint and pray, you run to worry. Worry is that place you go to first. And the church and the body of Christ is where you go last. That's a sign of somebody drifting. Not falling into that faith amnesia. That worry, now, concerns... That's understandable. Concern is one thing. We're allowed to have concerns. But worry destroys. Worry is when we can't even get rest because it's there constantly at us and we are so worried and concerned. The third thing that they said is a sign is we become insensitive to the move of God, insensitive to the wonders of God, insensitive to all that God can do and what he has done. I thought, wow. This is why people are praying for revival. You want revival? That's revival. Revival is we admit that we are in a place where we haven't been heeding the warnings. Good Lord, through COVID, what has God been trying to say to the church? Pastor Mike and I said one of the things that breaks our heart the most is COVID should have brought the church to its knees. The one place that the church should be the fullest is Wednesday night prayer meeting or any time we open the doors for prayer. Have we become insensitive to the move of God and what he's trying to say to the church of what he's trying to do? Revelation tells us that Jesus is amongst the lampstands. Jesus walks amongst the church. And he's walking right now amongst this church. The day that I came to faith, I felt him. I felt his hands on my shoulders. I felt him speak into my ear. And I took that leap of faith. This was the scariest thing I've ever done, walk up an aisle of a church. And I was saying to him, I put my trust in you. You are trustworthy. I don't understand this. But I put my trust in you. And I've never looked back. Because it is true. 
and it is real. And he has begun to show me time and time again that he is trustworthy. I might have not always been trustworthy, but he is trustworthy. And so we cannot ignore the warnings, people, that God sends our way. We cannot be ones who run to worry instead of to prayer and to him. And we cannot be people that God is moving and we can't even hear it or respond to it. Where we, like others, are refusing God. And so there are a few warnings here today and an encouragement from this passage. The first warning that we see here is Jesus says to us, have you trusted me? Are you willing to step out and trust me? Trust me for your physical needs. Trust me for your spiritual needs. Trust me that I am the only one who can set your life on the right path. I am the only one you can say that has truly died for you and shed their blood for you. I am the one who wants to give you a fresh new beginning. I am the one. Will you trust me or are you going to trust yourself? Have you learned that lesson yet? The second warning that Jesus gives is to us as the church. Oh no, here we are. We forgot we only have one loaf of bread. <laughs> He's warning us as a church that we've accepted him as Lord and Savior. We have put our faith in him and on his cross what he has done for us. We have taken that leap of faith. And yet, the God of the universe had this beautiful plan to save my heart and soul and he can't deal with me getting the grain in on time. Or how I'm going to pay that bill. Or my unsaved loved ones that I'm praying for. Or, or, whatever the worry is. Whatever the issue. See, some of us can have great faith to believe that God saved us. But the warning here is that we forget that God that saved us is the God who can care for us and help us, whatever our needs might be. Because he is compassionate and kind and cares for what you're going through. And praise God, there's an encouragement here. God is patient and long-suffering. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Even when we don't get it. <laughs> He doesn't give up on us. Even when we haven't fully understood, he never gave up on the disciples. He didn't walk away from the 12 and said, okay, that's it. I'm done with you. I've tried all this time. I'm going to start over. God is patient and doesn't give up on us. But he wants us to get that revelation. He wants our eyes to be open. He wants us to experience all that he has for us. And so he keeps leading us into deeper and wonderful I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Now, gluten-free bread, Eleanor. Oh, joy. The journey to find something that tastes palatable and doesn't taste like cardboard. Uh, some of you probably know, but I've had a lot of food allergies. I'm not celiac. Uh, have that tested, but I do have food allergies, and in these food allergies, uh, because of uh, getting my histamines low, I need to eat gluten-free. And so, 
There is this ongoing journey to find bread that is palatable. It tastes nothing like Aunt Rose's homemade bread. It doesn't even smell like bread. <laughs> and so I've sat down and I've had this meal and yeah, it's okay. But it doesn't satisfy. See, in John, in the Gospel of John, what's really powerful is after feeding the 5,000, Jesus says, the story in John tells us the reality, that when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? <laughs> Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe, trust, take that leap of faith in him who he has sent. And so they said to him, What sign are you going, there it is again, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God, that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, they said to him, sir, give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We as the church have been eating a gluten-free diet. We've been eating gluten-free bread. It's, it's palatable. It gets by, it does. But we're not truly satisfied. Because we know in our heart of hearts that something's missing. And it's not the genuine bread of life that we need. I want to encourage you today. Why settle? Now, some of us have been gluten-free for health reasons. I'm not getting into that. I'm doing this in a spiritual metaphor. Hear me right. But some of us need to get back to that bread of life. The real thing. That the aroma of it hits you as soon as you enter into a room. The presence of God is there. It puts that hunger in your hearts for Him. And as you feast upon Him, you will become satisfied that nothing else in this world will compare. And so it won't be said of you that you've refused what God is doing or you refused Him. And so let us not fall down to the danger of the Pharisees and the Herodians. Let's not fall down to the danger of the disciples that the bread of life was right there with them in the boat, and they were worrying about the cares of this world. Would you stand with us as we sing this song? If you need to do business with God today, I encourage you, take a leap of faith.
Walk down an aisle, come to an altar, stand, do whatever you need to do. But sometimes God is saying to us, am I trustworthy? Do you trust me? Step out, trust me for what I have for you yes, today. Father. As we sing this song, and I'll close in prayer.